This is Radio Maria England, and we now present Awakenings. Welcome to Awakenings. These are testimonies of faith and conversion. I'm actually Father Stephen Park. Uh, I'm a, a friar. I'm, I'm based at Clare Priory in, uh, near Cambridge. I'm delighted to be here. I'm delighted to welcome Tim Hutchison, whom we'll be speaking with today. He's an editor here on Radio Maria. He's been here for a, a few months uh, in Radio Maria. He was born in South Africa and has been living in the UK for the past six years. He's a musician, and he used to be a maths teacher, man after my own heart. Uh, he's a convert to the Catholic Church from Pentecostal non-denominational Christianity. That's quite a mouthful, which you'll probably <laughs> explain to us uh, now. And so over to you, uh, Tim. Uh, give us an idea of how you grew up and so on at this time. Yes, thank you, Father Stefan. Um, it's lovely to have this opportunity just to share a little bit of my story. And um, this will be the first time that I'm doing this in this way, although I've often had the um, the great privilege of being able to share it with friends and sometimes writing it down as well. Um, I grew up, as I have, as you've just mentioned there, in a um, in a very strong, loving Christian family. Um, in South Africa, where I'm from, and um, where I learned to to love God and and love the Scriptures, and um, we were uh, charismatic in the sense that we there was a strong emphasis on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, um, speaking in tongues and asking God for healings and words of knowledge and things like that, and those kinds of manifestations of of the um, of the Holy Spirit were quite normal for me growing up. I was seeing people being filled with the Holy Spirit. I was seeing people being healed of things, and and um, my parents had a very living faith, and they instilled this in each of um, my siblings and myself, and um, and that's something that I'm incredibly grateful for. Uh, I can remember from a young age having this desire to be completely given to God. I remember I used to, uh, we used to have these things called altar calls um, where the preacher would say, if anybody wants to give their heart to God, come forward and um, and offer him your heart. And I remember doing that from the age of about five, I think, um, wanting to be given to God in that way. And um, And then they would sometimes say, if you've already done this, but you feel like uh, you're not sure whether you are, whether you are properly given to God. And I think what they meant at that stage was if you've backslidden or you've, you've started to live a, a life of debauchery, then you can come up and do it again. And um, me and my, my desiring to, to kind of make this as, as firm and as final as I could, I used to do it multiple times. Um, and uh, so I had this this sort of burning desire to be to be given to God in that way. And um, I think one of the things that marks quite a a distinct change in my life from when I was um, from that time was when I accepted baptism and uh, being um, at the sort of of the mind that baptism needs to be a personal choice. We didn't practice infant baptism. So um, I remember hearing one day, excuse me, <clears throat> I remember hearing that uh, that there would be baptisms at the end of one of the church services. And I went to my mother and said to her that I wanted to be baptized. And it was quite a, a, a wonderful thing to bring to mind in later years because I can say that it's probably the first time I can remember feeling a, a movement of grace 
um, and that sort of mixture of excitement and joy that comes when when the Holy Spirit uh, moves you to do something. And I think what it also did was it 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 kind of gave me that stability that I had been longing for when I was kept on going forward for these um, altar calls. And in later years, when I started to understand a little bit more about what baptism means, I I became uh, sort of more appreciative of the work of grace and what grace had done for me in that in those waters. Um, so that's a little bit about my my childhood. That was probably about the age of seven when when that happened. Yeah, yeah. As, as very I'm I'm reflecting actually as you're speaking on my own upbringing as a Catholic. I was brought up in a, a traditional Catholic family in, in, in Glasgow, Scotland. And uh, my mother was Polish, my dad Ukrainian. So it had that, that sort of flavour of Catholicism uh, about it. And we we, we did the, the kind of Catholic things in the family. We prayed the rosary together. And, uh, and uh, But one of the differences from, from what I, I, I'm picking up from you is that... Uh, it, it, your approach within your family was still a very personal one. You you, you were making personal decisions for yourself. Uh, I, I found in my family that I was just going along with the family, as it were. And uh, even in, in church, it was more a communal um, expression of our faith in God, uh, more so than a person. The personal thing was there but it was more a communal uh, sort of expression of, of faith that was that's my impression uh, thinking about my own childhood but 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 tell us something about uh, how you progressed in your teenage years and so on mm. um well just to to speak about what you're saying there about personal and communal i think that um those elements were also there it was uh i i think even within a more charismatic uh of expression of of Christianity, there's uh, there comes a point when somebody has to go from the uh, kind of corporate, um, just doing going through the motions um, kind of faith to a more personal. Um, and I think I was just very fortunate that I felt this this desire from a very early age, and. Um, but yes, let's let's go into the the teenage years yes. if we if we will. So, um, yes, uh, I was. Um, my parents used to run Bible studies and Alpha courses, and um, and my dad used to play in in church worship bands and things like that. And from my teens, I used to play the guitar and the saxophone and in church bands and that really put me right in the center of a great kind of spiritual life and in contact with with um, young men that I could look up to and see as role models and people who were very gracious in investing time and prayer into my life and uh, and sort of forming me and and uh, inspiring me to to be like them so it was I think at, at a at quite a crucial time in my life when I could have been having, you know, I don't know, uh, role models on on TV or or um, who knows what, you know, I had these really wonderful men in the church that I was growing up in, um, and uh, so that was uh, just a great grace that that God gave me and I can remember desiring to be like these people and to pray like them and to know my Bible and um, so that was wonderful. Uh, there was a, another thing that kind of happened at this time um, where I started to to identify my spiritual life quite closely with the life of the church and um, I started to to I suppose, um, formulate my own understanding of, of what it means to be a Christian. And, and there was kind of this, this thing that people used to do when they would try and, um, define their spiritual life apart from the church. Um, so they would say, well, I'm a Christian, but 
there's certain kind of Christians that I don't associate with or, um, or I love Jesus, but I'm not so sure about the church. And, and I, I remember feeling like that was not actually right, that we had, we had to, um, be founded in a community and, and in a, uh, a body of believers. And, um, and I think that that started raising certain questions for me. Um, I started to wonder why the church is so divided or why Christians rather are so divided um, and why we were so precious about our denominations and our divisions um, in the in the town that we lived in, um, in the town where the church was that we lived in, there was one street where there were about a dozen signs on that street and each sign standing right next to each other had the name of a different church on them. Um, I don't know why it wasn't called Church Street. It might as well have been. And uh, and I think that was just a, a sort of, I mean, it was literally a sign or signs of, of division, you know, the fact that um, we, and I think it's, it's helpful to, to know that this was not always just division in terms of, of belief, because some of these churches believed very similar things. And yet, if I were to go to one of them on a Sunday morning and um, people saw me there, they would say to me, oh, are you joining us now? Have you ceased to worship, um, you know, there where you used to worship? It, it, it wasn't like... Um, you just go to the one that's closest to you. And I think there's a, there began to become a kind of a sadness in me for this and also a question. And um, so I started to to pray about that and, and to really ask, and ask people that I trusted and people that I looked up to, why it is that we have these distinctions. And um, the answers didn't really satisfy me. They They always seemed like they were kind of, papering over the problem and not really um, identifying what was at its at its core. And um, and as I moved into sort of my later teens and my um, my years when I started going to university, I just wasn't satisfied with those kinds of answers. I, I needed something something that uh, came with that that kind of peace that that the truth always brings. Um, so yeah, that kind of set the stage for for something quite significant to happen in my life. So th- this would be a good time if we just pause. Th- th- these are immense questions, especially you know why are we divided as Christians? You know how does how does that happen? How does it work? Uh, we we maybe ponder that for a, a minute or two as we have a, a musical interlude. Shadow 
song Tim I, I, I'm a bit of a dinosaur as far as uh, modern music's concerned could you tell us who that is and what, <laughs> what the song is um, so that was a, a song called All the Way by Delirious which was a band that I used to listen to at that stage in my life um, they were considered sort of on the cutting edge of Christian music at the time and I still love some of these old songs um, old for me actually though I suppose new in some ways as well um, Great. Um, I was thinking during our little break there about the divisions uh, and my own personal experience of that. I was brought up, uh, as I said, as a Catholic, went to a Catholic primary school in Glasgow. Uh, the Protestant school was across the road from us. And at playtime, we used to uh, hurl insults to each other across the road. Uh, uh, that was... <laughs> least part of my experience. We lived next to a Protestant family who were absolutely, in fact, there's a lot of Protestant families where we were, and they were just superb, superb people, so loving. And uh, yeah, uh, it was a good environment. And it was, uh, it was a Christian environment. Mm -hmm. You know, really people looked out for each other and helped each other. Um, so it, yeah, in Glasgow, there are religious divisions, but it's more tribal. I think it's more tribal than religious. And um, after my own personal conversion, um, I came into touch with many uh, Christians from different denominations. And I, I just found that brilliant. I found that mm -hmm. very beautiful and brilliant. Uh, but at the same time, recognising that we've got significant differences um, in how we view uh, God and the big questions as well. I'll stop there before. Yeah, I think um, I suppose I could speak a little bit about what what my impression of was of or my attitude towards Catholics was at this stage. I mean, mm. I knew very very little about um, Catholic beliefs, um, but I and I think I was I was uh, although South Africa is um, a very Protestant country and it has a a long history of um, quite staunch Calvinism. Uh, the the movement that that I was brought up in was, in a sense, um, against some of those more rigid kind of Calvinist ideas. So it, it sort of pushed against a, a very kind of legalistic, um, uh, a very rigid form of Calvinism that was that had come with the, the Dutch settlers. And, um, but it also had a kind of anti-Catholic streak to it as well, which wasn't very well informed. Um, it sort of just saw Catholics as being people who were also very rigid, very legalistic, um, probably didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them and um, had some strange kind of pagan uh, beliefs like worshiping Mary and things like mm. that. So, and and I didn't know any, um, you know, God-loving Catholics. So it was, it was easy to just keep these ideas uh, alive. And although I had this desire for unity within the church, um, I think Catholicism was the last place I thought that. I would find any answers to this, to my questions. It remind me of uh, Roy Schumann, who was a Jew, a very clever chap who became a Catholic. And during his uh, conversion period, uh, he, he, he was talking to, to God as one does. And um, he, he, he recognized God as God, and, but he didn't know where God was calling him to. And he says, I'll, I'll do whatever you want, Lord, anything at all, uh, as long as it's not becoming a Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've heard that story. Yes, yeah. it yeah. is quite a funny one. Uh, yeah. Um, so where are we in the story now? Yeah, your teenage years. You're, you're teenage wondering years. Uh, just the differences, and, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see. It's a big jump to to move to the 
to the, the Catholicism from yeah. uh, from a Pentecostal background. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's huge, huge jump. I, I wonder how that happened. Yeah. So um, when I went from um, when I moved to Cape Town, so I was growing up sort of in the Eastern Cape, um, which is about a day's drive from Cape Town, and so I left my hometown. Um, left the church that I grew up in, moved to a new city, was studying uh, music and maths, and um, I found a new place to to fellowship on Sundays. And um, and I remember just wanting to to ask questions and to have find answers. I had this sort of great enthusiasm in me, and and I remember having this deep uh, belief. It wasn't a sort of um, the kind of questioning where you just trying to rock the boat or or be difficult, although I, I did a little bit of that as well. But it was more a questioning knowing that answers can be found and, and knowing that the truth brings freedom. I remember that being a very deep and wonderful thing to have learned that if there's any kind of bondage in my life or any kind of lack of freedom, it means that there's a lack of truth. And so I would always look for truth and and not um, be satisfied until I found it. And to to give maybe a, a tangential uh, example of this, I I remember encountering Mormons for the first time, and um, I had some friends in college who were Mormons, and I was quite fascinated by by what they believed, and and um, so instead of just being quite. Uh, I suppose, anti or skeptical, I said, well, tell me what it is that you believe and I'd like to to investigate it, not with a, any idea of, of joining or anything, but wanting to give it its its um, its due. Uh, yeah, you were seeking the truth for the yeah. year. And I, I knew that they didn't believe in the Trinity. And being a good Protestant, I knew that the word Trinity never appeared in the scriptures. And I believed that the scriptures was the foundation of truth. So I said, well, let me see what you've learned about um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit without the Trinity, without this concept of the Trinity, and maybe you can teach me something. And so I went in with this magnanimity, if 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 I can say that about myself. And um, what I discovered in the end was that the whole thing just collapsed. It fell on its on its head, and it, it had no. Uh, it turned to polytheism, really. And um, but I was glad to have come to that conclusion with an open mind rather than coming to it with skepticism. And so I, I saw that one, when one, um, uh, you know, that the truth also brings a kind of courage within you because you don't feel like you're going to get, although you can be naive as well, you, you don't feel like you, you need to worry about being tricked because if you really look at a thing with an honest heart, I think you'll, you'll find the truth. So this sort of set me up for something really unexpected when I, when I, for the first time, actually encountered um, some of the Catholic ideas. And um, I don't know if you if you want me to to yeah, segue into that. Yeah, please do. So in in Cape Town, there was a a group of of young, um, mostly young men who were uh, kind of creating a little bit of trouble actually in the evangelical kind of Pentecostal non-denominational world. Um, I'm sure there's other words we can put next Mm. to this. And uh, they were busy investigating the claims of the Catholic Church. And and I remember I was once at a a birthday party and there was a discussion going on in the kitchen and people were talking about um, evolution and how this fits in with the creation narrative. And this young man was listening to the discussion and he decided that he was going to um, weigh in. And he said, you know, I think that Christians really shouldn't worry too much about these things. What we really should be, be studying more is church history. And if we were studying church history, it would put us in um, in contact with or would we'd suddenly be aware of the history of the Catholic Church and um, and this is something and we'd realize that actually this is the original church this is the Church of the Apostles 
the church that came from from them. And being a mostly evangelical crowd, people were hurling all kinds of um, oppositions to this idea. And, and he was sitting there with a smile on his face and just sort of giving answers as, as best as he could. And, um, and I said to him, well, what do you think of the Reformation? Because he, he seemed to be saying a lot of really interesting things. And, and he said, well, you know, most of us see the Reformation as being God's way of purging the church from its divisions. But um, why would God use, sorry, not from its divisions, God's way of purging the church from its sins? Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, and, um, but, but why would God use division to purge the church of its sins? Um, and then he said, and the Protestant church has been dividing ever since. And I remember those lines sort of just stuck in my mind. And I, re and I knew at that point that I'd found this little nugget of truth that I'd been looking for. And when I think back on that, on that scene in that kitchen at that birthday party, it's as if the room just became quiet for me and I was left alone with those words just ringing in my mind. You know, mm. the, the Protestant church has been dividing ever since. And I looked at him um, once I'd kind of gathered my thoughts again and I said to him, so are you telling me that Martin Luther should have stayed within the church? He should have worked out his, um, his issues with the church rather than uh, separating from it. And he looked at me and he said, that's exactly what I'm saying. Mm. And um, that was really a point of no return for me. Although I didn't become Catholic immediately, I remember it suddenly uh, opened my eyes to something and I felt like I could see something. I saw something which I couldn't unsee after that. And to have this idea that the church actually once had a unity and then that unity was broken um, really was, it was in a sense sad, but it was also good news for me because I realized that I could, I could now identify where the problem was, if you will, or, or um, at least part of the problem. And, um, and I could see how I fitted into to that problem. Yeah. yeah, and we see how difficult that uh, unity is to achieve. I mean, Jesus prayed for it uh, mm -hmm. in his priestly prayer in, the, in John's Gospel, that, Father, that they might be one as, as, as we are one. And, and it is... It's part of our human condition and our human brokenness that that, that sets us apart from each other uh, in a way that's not helpful. Um, perhaps we could have a musical break sure. now before we uh, carry on. You can't gather grapes from a bramble bush Or pick a fig from thorns But what I like to be Oh, to be a good tree So I'm falling the rocks on the beaten path Sink into rich soil from a tiny seed. Grows a good tree like a cedar high and mustard wide, where all of the birds of the air can hide. Find rest in.
So yes, I, I play the song fairly regularly on the radio. It's called Good Tree by the Hillbilly Thomists. They're a bunch of Dominican brothers from Washington. Very nice. And um, Psalm 1 has always been a like a very special psalm for me about the tree. So when I heard that song, it, it's, uh, it, it resonates very deeply. Very good. So we were talking about really a, a time of great transition for you uh, in your mind and, and thinking about where you were and what you were discovering, uh, particularly about the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Would you like to continue? With that? Yeah, so um, it's, oh gosh, it's really difficult to condense this all down into an hour's talk, but we do our best. And um, the uh, so I, I had this realization, I began to see things that I, I um, hadn't seen before and questions were answered that, uh, that I'd been asking. And um, I remember how almost immediately I could see the necessity of the Catholic Church. It just, it, it, it was like there were these questions that had been, been waiting for that um, answer and I just understood things um, quite quickly. And there's this beautiful kind of continuity and um, coherence within the Catholic teaching that you feel, you, you get the sense that everything sort of fits together quite beautifully as you would expect truth to to fit together and um as a as a protestant um you know the real foundation of my faith was this idea of scripture alone yeah and um you it, it sort of it forms almost the framework in which you think you do not um Everything that you bring to mind in your faith, you're always checking with the with the scripture, um, and it's a it really was a wonderful way to it really grounded me growing up. I can remember just how knowing the scriptures and and using the scriptures were it gave me a, such a solid foundation. But when I encountered the the Catholic Church, I I realized that there was something slightly different about what the Catholic Church was claiming to be and to have. And that was that it claimed to have a teaching authority that was alive and it didn't just rest within a written document and um, that it claimed to be teaching what the apostles taught, um, not as a kind of opposition to scripture or something extra to scripture, but it was, it carried the living uh um, what we sometimes call tradition or the living teaching of the apostles of which scripture is a written form. And um, when I started to see that, I remember thinking to myself, well, how is this not good news? How yeah. is this not exciting? You know, to, um, And I, I found myself a little bit perplexed that other people didn't share the, the excitement. Um, a lot of people... Uh, I would say to them, so I've, I'm, I'm exploring the claims of the Catholic Church and the Catholic Church claims to be the church that, that dates back to the apostles. It claims to be that church. And what for me was this moment of excitement, I would see just this moment of uh, fear in, in my listener's face. And I, I, I realized that not, for not everybody, I mean, obviously... They just didn't believe the claim, so it it, it was um, it wouldn't arrive for them with the same kind of excitement. But to me, it was a it was a really beautiful and and wonderful thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a fabulous 
um, way that, that Jesus built the church. Uh, I, I just marvel at the fact that he, he picked fallible human beings to, to build this wonderful uh, church that we are uh, part of. We are the stones in the building. And um, uh, and in that fallibility, we're still able to uh, approach the truth and live the truth. And that, that's one of the things that I I found during my training for priesthood where I studied at uh, Heathrop College, London University. And it was a really interesting experience. We, we, we had Christians from all, all sorts of denominations coming in to, to study theology. And what I found was that I got along uh, very well and best with those who were trying to live their faith regardless of denomination. Mm-hmm. You know, and we'd have fierce discussions uh, among, uh, and really because we're passionate about what we believed. And we, at times we'd have to draw back because we realized that, that there was no, we, we weren't going to get agreement. Mm-hmm. But but we, we loved being together because we, we were all loving the Lord. And, uh, and that was important. Um, there was another strand of people who came in uh, and studying theology from just a purely intellectual uh, approach. And, well, you can do that too, but I, I, I think um, really you have to live it and want mm. it to be part of your life for it to be really meaningful. Sorry, I've, I've gone off track no, here. <laughs> Where are we going there? Yeah, so I suppose um, I could talk a little bit about this transitional stage because at first I'd say that um, this was more of an intellectual uh, kind of pursuit for me and I didn't, um, before these things started to to show themselves to be as as clearly true as, I, as they were, um, I didn't think that it would it would need me to become Catholic. I thought mm-hmm. that I, I could just kind of learn about these things. I could discover what the Catholic Church taught and um, and it could be a little bit like my uh, when I was looking into what the Mormons believed, you know, just an, an interesting kind of uh, sort of uh, intellectual. Uh, activity but um but the more i learned about catholicism and the teachings of the catholic church the more i realized that there comes a point where this demands some kind of response from you because the claims are are not just um propositions they actually point to realities you know that the church is something that that is founded by Christ and that it has visible um, leaders who we need to submit to. And, and submission to leaders was actually something quite important from my, um, from my Protestant upbringing, um, which, yeah, there was a, a strange kind of um, dovetailing that happened in, in things that I'd learned and, and, and values that I'd picked up from from the Protestants that I now found in a much more substantial way with Catholicism. Did you discuss any of this during the transitional period with your family at all? Yeah, so um, there were there was a lot of discussion, perhaps more than the, there should have been, um, because it wasn't always very helpful, um, because it was quite painful for them. They didn't follow the, the same kind of lines of... of of argument that I did, and um, I also tried to to work it through with the pastor of the church that I was going to at the time. He was a really wonderful, um, gracious man, and um, he, I mean, he spent a lot of time praying and researching and kind of wanting to accompany me in what I was going through, uh, what I was what I was deciding to do. Although he he didn't. Uh, agree with what I was doing and I, I really commend him for that I think it was mm-hmm. I had other friends who were also you know I, I was now sort of in this circle of people who were just uh, um, investigating the claims of the Catholic Church and some of them hadn't quite 
you know, sad experiences with the, with the people who they were sharing their walk with, um, leaders of other churches who, you know, responded quite, um, I suppose, defensively, um, in public ways sometimes to, to this whole movement. So it was, it, it created a bit of upheaval. Yeah. Um, we were the talk of the town, if you were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there was a part of me that enjoyed that at first, but when I started to realize what it was going to cost me, yeah, it was, it was hard. It was really, really hard. And I, I didn't really want to move away from the, the kind of what my parents had given me. My parents had actually, in a sense, helped me set my spiritual compass. Um, and now for the first time in my life, I could see my spiritual compass pointing in a direction different to theirs. And that is deeply confusing. Yeah. It really is. Um, and, uh, you know, how one gets oneself out of such a tangle is, um, it, it was a trial. It really was such a trial. Um, there was a talk that I listened to at the time, which, which was very helpful. And I've come back to it a few times and shared it with many people um, I I was introduced to Peter Kraft, the oh, yeah. the um, American Catholic philosopher, and this was actually the first talk I ever heard of his, and it was about ecumenism. I mean, I didn't even know what the word meant at the time, and yet this was the one thing that I'd I'd been longing for, and he he lays out this beautiful um, kind of vision of of ecumenism. He he said that Pope John Paul II had had described the first millennium of Christian history as largely the millennium of Christian unity, the second millennium, uh, millennium of disunity or, or breaking apart. And his prayer was that the third millennium would be one of reunification. And then he begins, Peter Kraft begins to sort of put forward all these suggestions of how the church might be reunified. And he said, um, not one of these things has worked and not one of them will work. And the only thing that will work is um, Jesus Christ. And I remember when he said that this deep kind of peace coming over me and he said, we will be re reunited because Christ wants it more than any of us want it. I believe that. Yeah. And, uh, and this is what he prayed. I mean, you, you refer to that prayer in John 17 before yeah. he was crucified. It was his high priestly prayer that, um, that we would be one. And so I'm, I, I felt like, uh, there was, you know, again, the, the answers to my questions were coming and they were coming from a place where I didn't expect them to come. They were coming within the Catholic church. Um, and they were centered not around an idea, not around a kind of a program of reform, but around the person of Jesus Christ. Um, and yeah, that was just, I still hold on to that. And uh, I mean, he says to each one of us, come follow me, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that, journey that we take uh it's costly you know yeah. it, it it costs i mean in your story i would imagine that uh, you lost friendships and and uh you became more distant with people who you loved uh yeah. and and all of that i'm thinking of uh, uh, scott han his uh, you probably mm -hmm. read his story he was a evangelical uh pastor uh, who moved to the catholic church and he I mean, he lost his livelihood and mm. his his ministry, uh, and uh, and he could have lost his family as well, because his wife was very strongly Protestant, very strongly uh, uh, came from a, st a strong Protestant family, uh, and and uh, he made that that painful journey, uh, and you have experienced that mm -hmm. re reality as well in in your journey. Did you come across any? Um, I mean, you you came from a, a kind of charismatic Pentecostal background, as yep. you said. Uh, did you did you come across? They they exist in the Catholic Church, you know. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you come across any in the the, uh, the charismatic renewal? Um, no, I didn't actually. In in not for a long time. In fact, th 
this is so I've been a Catholic for 10 almost 11 years now and um, I feel like working at Radio Maria is the first time that I'm starting to come into contact with more charismatic uh, people from the charismatic renewal within yeah. the Catholic Church and it's it has been I'm not sure if I'll have a chance to sort of uh, tie this up um, before we finish but it, it has been a kind of lovely rounding the circle type thing um, in my in my story because I feel like I I had come to know and to love the Holy Spirit in my Protestant upbringing and what I found in the Catholic Church and this is going to sound far more controversial than it, it needs to. Is I feel like I found Christ. Um, that's not to say that I didn't find Christ in, in no, the Protestant church. Like I, but the, um, we know that the spirit blows where he wills. And, uh, but I didn't know the presence of the Eucharist. Yeah. And that was, that was something new and, uh, you know, beautiful and, and wonderful. And, and I'm not trying to say that these things are somehow in opposition or they're fragmented or, you know, the presence of, of the um, second and third persons of the Trinity. <laughs> that would be completely absurd. But um, somehow that has helped me make sense of, of this journey. Um, but um, yes, I haven't even spoken about actually coming into the church yet. So yeah, please <laughs> tell us how did it happen? What so, madness came across you? Yeah, I mean, I I went through this period of um, I had all the arguments now, and I'd I'd kind of seen them, and then I started. Uh, I kind of hesitated because in the uh, kind of evangelical way of, of seeing things is is you you tend to wait for some kind of word from the Holy Spirit before you make a big decision. And so I remember I, even though intellectually I knew that this wasn't necessary for me to do what I was about to do, still um, my whole framework and my whole way of thinking suggested that I, I needed to have some kind of word some kind of uh, divine light or sign or something. And um, and I know that it would have made it much easier also just to explain to a lot of my Protestant friends if I just said to them, well, God told me, you know, in whatever way, if I could, if I could say that God told me to become Catholic, it would sort of put an end to the, the discussion. <laughs> yeah. But that wasn't how it was working. It was more uh, a way of, uh, line upon line, precept upon precept being uh, slowly illuminated for me. And I had to have the courage to um, to make that step. And I, I delayed a little bit. I, I dropped out of an RCIA course just before it came to Easter. And I said, look, whoa, I need to, to put the brakes on this. And then I was in this sort of um, spiritual no man's land almost where I was still going to the Protestant church on... Sunday mornings and to mass on Sunday evenings. And I can't remember if I was taking uh, sort of the bread and the grape juice at, at the Protestant church at that stage, but, you know, wasn't obviously wasn't taking communion with Catholics and um, it was excruciating. And I was, I was mm. going over scriptures again and again and, um, and having arguments with my family and with friends and, and then um, I remember one day I thought about the, the Catholic Church and something inside me just realized that the church that I read about in the book of Acts and that Jesus spoke about in uh, the Gospels, you know, on, on this rock I'll build my church. And what I was uh, seeing here you know, in all its clumsiness and it's it, it's not a glamorous thing, the, the Catholic Church in a local parish, it's usually, you know, oh, quite ordinary. How, how can you say such a thing? <laughs> that I just suddenly realized that this was the same thing. Yeah. That that, that we were we were dealing with um the same reality there written about in scriptures and here present. And that came with this wonderful sense of joy. Um, here it is. It's the same thing. 
and um and then i remember immediately in my mind thinking okay well i'm going to go over those scriptures one more time i'm going to read you know when jesus says to peter on this rock i will build my church and another thought came to me and it said but why why do you have to go over these one more time don't you isn't this enough like haven't you seen what you need to see and so i realized that i i was just delaying with no real reason and i had to make that step because um i had what i needed yeah in the scriptures and you know it, it was all there I, I couldn't wait for god to to give me a kind of uh clear thou shalt you know <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i actually get that very much i i, I had a similar but different process going into priesthood i i had for a couple of years i, I started to think about uh, becoming a priest but I thought this is nonsense. It's, mm. it's really what a priest does in my own personality are two different things as far as I was concerned. And uh, eventually I talked to uh, an Augustinian priest uh, who, who I, um, had come to stay with me. And he says, at least take some practical steps to, to find out whether or not uh, you, you, you should go for priesthood. So I took all my annual leave. I was a computer programmer at the time. And went up to Dundee to his community and spent a month just praying hard and following him around. Um, and what I was hoping for was a, a great voice from heaven to say, you will be a priest. Mm. And and <laughs> um, so I, I, I was really sure to expect that. Uh, but after about three weeks, I had heard nothing. I was at zero. Uh, and and I, thought, I started to panic. I thought I've been here for three weeks and I've 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 been praying hard and I've heard nothing, um, but then I started to reflect on my life and I thought there is enough evidence here yeah. that that um, God is calling me to priesthood and I and I took the step then I resigned my job and came down to London to study, but but um, reflecting on on that um, I think God deals with us very very gently uh, and he, he he wishes us to be free to choose. He doesn't want to force us into mm. uh, these important choices. He wants us to be free to choose, which is why um, uh, he, he speaks so gently. Um, I think uh, Bertrand Russell, speaking to a priest friend at one time uh, as he was dying, uh, uh, he asked the questions, said, but why doesn't God just make it more obvious mm -hmm. you know, that he exists? Uh, and and um, I, I think he, he, he does make it plain, but in a very gentle way to mm. allow us to be able to say yes or no freely without feeling coerced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that one of the elements that was at play here in my, in my journey was realizing that faith and reason needn't be in opposition to each other. Because I think there was an idea that had come to me through my Protestant upbringing that faith almost needs to be irrational. Um, and it, that's not true. It it's not uh, faith isn't sort of within the bounds of reason, if you will. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that it becomes irrational. It 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 goes far beyond what reason can go. But it, it doesn't mean that it it uh, does violence to reason. Exactly. And yeah. and I I mean that's something I still had to grapple with um, throughout this journey. Um, I suppose I could. I could try and sort of wrap this up and bring it to some kind of conclusion, if you will. Um, in a moment, I'd, I'd be interested just to say a few words mm -hmm. about how you uh, found the transition going from uh, a charismatic approach to a sacramental approach. How, how, did, sure. how, how did that uh, work? Yes. Um, it was... It, it was difficult in some ways to get used to some of the... Catholic devotions um, and uh, things like uh, adoration um, before the Blessed Sacrament, but that after a while that that sort of came quite naturally. Um, I remember that I I longed for, I still kind of felt very at home with the way of worshiping in in charismatic church. So that was that was quite tough for me and. Um, mm. uh, 
things that that were helpful were um, the rosary took a while. The Divine Mercy Chaplet I found almost immediately was just it, it almost just drew prayer out of me. It was it was a wonderful um, thing to to use. Um, and then I felt this this desire for uh, confession. Confession was such a grace. I mean, it still is such a grace. It's it's just such a beautiful thing where you can have something that is 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 binding you and and keeping you down, and you go into the confessional and you give it to a priest, and um, you give it to God, you know, uh, with the with the help of the priest, and then it just goes and and it's it's almost in how anticlimactic it is that that i've i feel so blessed by it um mm. I, you know that i'll get to the end of that day and think to myself oh wow um that thing that was resting on me yesterday is gone you know yes. it's 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 not there anymore and it's because i went to confession this morning um so these objective channels of grace have been such uh, beautiful things to have in my life. I, I'm I'm really really grateful for that. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're nearly we're nearly at the end. <laughs> <laughs> if there's any final words. Yeah, I suppose I, I I'll share a, a story of of a recent experience. I mean, I went and visited my parents for the first time in four and a half years because I've been living in the UK for six so it's, yeah about six years now, and. Um, and uh, for the last weekend that I was with them, I would always go to mass on the Sunday morning and my parents would go to the church where I grew up. And uh, my mother really wanted me to come to church with her. And so what I decided to do was to um, go to uh, mass on the Saturday night, which meant traveling about an hour's drive um, to the oratory in Port Elizabeth. Mm. And... Uh, and then go to church with them in the morning. And if I'm completely honest, I didn't want to do it. I didn't really want to be in that place where I was growing up and I didn't want to hear the sermons and I didn't want to have the loud music. And I, I've become at home for the last 10 years in a much different way of, of worshiping. And, mm. um, but somehow I thought it was the right thing to do. And so I did it and I, I drove to Port Elizabeth and um, there was adoration and I just walked into this sublimely beautiful kind of reverent service uh, and felt so at peace and full and uh, and joyful. Then um, had dinner with the priest there, drove home, went to, to church with my parents the next day thinking, okay, well, you know, I'll just show my face here. And that peace that I felt in front of the Blessed Sacrament and um, at Mass was unbroken. And it just continued into this this next day in this kind of charismatic service with uh, with my parents. And I remember looking around and going, this is the place where I learned to love the Lord. This is the place where, you know, this is the preacher and the same jokes that he used to tell when I was a little boy. And um, But there was this great gratitude and it felt like the story had had come had made a kind of full circle, and I I could give thanks um, for what I'd received in that place, uh, and it, it just it, it gave me a great sense of gratitude and and um, and the sense of continuity as well. Absolutely so, brilliant, yeah. brilliant. There we yeah. go. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Good. Good conclusion. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can say a prayer if, if you... Yes, please, yeah. <laughs> We're making hand signals at each other here. Uh, so in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity to speak with Father Stefan and to um, share and to remember the work that you do in our lives. I pray that um, that you continue to draw people to yourself and um, help us to be response uh, to be responsive to the to the promptings of the holy spirit in the name of the father son and holy, holy spirit, spirit. Amen. Amen. thank you lord for your uh, many blessings we pray for those who are uh, particularly who are struggling at this time and just say to those who are listening at this time may may you have a very good and blessed week uh, and uh, we'll see you again next time
Amen.